0: I like to say I like to say love is like porn, and let me tell you what I mean by that.
1: I'm ready for it. This is going to be a great highlight
0: for the opening. So the there was the quote in um, from the late '70s, I believe it was a U.S. Supreme Court justice who was having to identify what define what porn is mm-hmm. because some case before the Supreme Court, and they were trying to literally define what's the difference between porn and Italian Renaissance art. Right, right. And this Supreme court justice said, I know it when I see it, <laughs> when I nope. see it, I know the difference between porn and art. It's nope. that simple. same thing with love.
1: Hi, my name is Leo WT and you have found your way to the conversations podcast. Conversations exist to create spiritually minded conversations about life. We desire to create safe space for dialogue and community. We desire to come together regularly and intentionally to generate conversations about life, belief, and the intersection of the two. Everyone is welcome at The Conversation. What is up, friends? It's Leo WT here with another episode of Conversations. In case you're new here, hey, hello, my name's Leo. I like to have friends on and we talk about life, belief, and the intersection of the two. You're going to find that here every week at Conversations with one absolutely one non-negotiable tenet, and that is that everybody's voice matters in the conversation. So I am here with a friend of mine, and we're going to get ourselves started because I feel like we need all of our seconds tonight to talk. So I'm going to have my friend introduce herself and we'll get this show started.
0: Well, thank you, Leo. I'm so happy to join you this evening and thrilled to um, participate with your audience. My name is Rachel Roberts, and I am the founder of American Nun, and also wrote a book called Confessions of an American Nun. And it is basically a giant piece of deconstruction, which frankly, I didn't even know that was a thing until after I had written and published the book. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> so it's kind of like, Oh, wow, there's already people talking about this. and I didn't. Wow, I feel like I'm late to the game. <laughs> well, that's because I'm Gen X, and so I'm not as quite as savvy on uh, Instagram, so that that was, I think, my main reason for being behind the curve there, but uh, but that kind of proves the point of the collective consciousness, right? Yep. That, that there is a wave moving uh, throughout um, humanity right now, and there's a lot that's going on in the um, deconstruction and, and reinvention, so to speak, of what it means to be a spiritual being, so absolutely when i
1: first saw your page i think i found you through um mark uh the, the toxic jesus oh, page yeah and i saw your page and i was like boom, instant follow, like it had to happen, and to be honest, I didn't even fully know what you were about, but I'm pretty sure I saw a slide on your Instagram that said exactly what your shirt says, which is love is greater than labels, and as a queer person, I was like, you got me from the jump, you know what I mean? Yeah,
0: yeah, yes, Um, that's that's it in a nutshell.
1: Yes, I love it. So, I, uh, well, there's two ways we could go, and I'm going to let you pick. I told you, you was gonna, I was going to guide this conversation, but we can either start from the point, the perspective
0: of your story or what the hell an American nun is.
1: Your, your, your choice where you want to start.
0: <laughs> uh, let's start with what the hell an American nun is just because, right. uh, because that could be just about anybody listening right now. True. And, then, and then if still, it still, still seems interesting and relevant, I'm happy to share whatever uh, about my own story. All but, right. Uh, basically, in a nutshell, a nun, n o n e for those who are listening uh, and aren't seeing it written um, is someone who selects none of the above f- as their religious affiliations or lack thereof. So mm-hmm. it's this is a term that's been in use for over 20 years, used primarily by demographers and sociologists who were you know tracking the religious landscape um, both in the United States and then also globally. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the term became a thing when the more polls that these research bodies were doing, people were increasingly selecting none of this. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to identify as atheist. I don't want to identify as Christian. I don't want to identify as Wiccan. I'm just, I don't, don't put a label on me. Yes. And, um, hence this right here. Absolutely. Um, and so, um, so, yeah, that term's been around for a long time, but it hasn't quite seeped into the public consciousness yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's someone, it's not just someone who says, hey, don't label me. There are reasons for that. There are mm-hmm. sociological reasons that have led to this basically mass exodus of people from organized religion. And when I started American Nun as an organization and an online community, um, the, 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 Juxtaposition of American and none is somewhat oxymoronic because American is very much a label. Yeah. Uh, and none is the anti label label. <laughs> um, and, but, but I did it on purpose uh, because being American, growing up in the United States, we have all the cultural trappings that come with that mm-hmm. the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so mm-hmm. we have a unique set of things, issues, you know, things to go to a therapist for whatever, right? <laughs> whatever, and, and so I, by, by leading with the fact that, listen, yes, we are American and all that comes with it, we got to own it, acknowledge it, and then do the work to, to uh, make right yeah. the things that have been done wrong uh, wrongly <laughs> yeah. uh, under the banner of, of the United States uh, throughout history. Yeah. Um, But through the process of that end up in a space where we go, but that label doesn't matter and no labels matter.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, because there's a very specific
1: set of, uh, you know, I'm really big on like intersectionality, right? And intersectional identity as well as intersectional uh, points of injustice. And I think that there's a very specific set of privileges that come with being an American. So while we, there might be other nuns out there in the world, it's a very interesting thing in particular to be an American nun. And so I think by giving it that title, it demands that we first unpack why, why America yes. needs to be in the title. And then we move ourselves into solidarity with everyone else, which I think is a really interesting point.
0: I Thank think- you for I, yeah. I'm
1: sorry, Oh, yeah. No, 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 that's okay. Absolutely, I'm all about the acknowledgement. I read a Pew Research study recently because, like, something I've learned about myself at my old age of 33 um, <laughs> is that I am obsessed with like demographics and data. Like, before I go anywhere on vacation, I look up their demographics. Who does that? Me. That's a good <laughs> Um But I read a study from the Pew Research uh, Institute lately, and they said that churches are at like a 70. Per- they're 70 percent less populated than they were at the last decade or something like that. Yeah. The last segment of study. And basically, it's that church attendance now is at an all time low. But I think what's interesting, and I won't try to hog the conversation, but I want to pitch this like, I wanted to, you know, encompass this for you or set up the question. But I don't see that there's any less of a sense or need for community. And so I wonder if you have any insights on why, like, church is declining, even though church is like a common place where people find community. What do you think about the intersection of, like, that need versus the decline?
0: Well, I think that community is the, probably the number one reason why people have been going as long as they have for the mm-hmm. past several decades. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been community that's kept people pretending to believe things they don't really believe because they want to be in a space where they feel like, um, I, I have a shared value system with you. I know these are good people because they, they believe in something greater, you know, or whatever. Um, But eventually, both on a cultural level and then on a micro level, on the individual level, there's a fatigue that sets in because Mm -hmm. it's like, what the, can we say bad words on your You can say bad
1: words. Go for it. (laughs) It's like, what
0: the fuck am I doing? You know what I mean? (laughs) It's like, I was, I was, uh, I'll never forget when I made the decision to quit going to church. I was finishing my master's in theology. I served on the chancel, wore the alb and the rope and the whole nine yards and did all that. And I loved it. It was actually a very meaningful experience for me, but I was increasingly realizing I don't believe this this stuff that we say we believe literally. I can see the metaphors and all that kind of stuff, but, and then I realized I'm, It is more work to get my three kids dressed and out of the house to get to church. And everybody hates each other by the time we get there. Amen. (laughs) Pastor's kid here. Yeah. And they hate Sunday school and you know, blah, 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 blah. And by the time we get home, over half the day is gone. And um, I just want to go to bed. (laughs) And so I realized, you know what? I think I will experience more vitality, more love. If I have a peaceful Sunday morning with my children and I take the one day when I'm not working and I can make them breakfast and we can just sleep in late and watch, you know, SpongeBob or whatever. Yeah. So, and so I, it it just, church isn't serving people anymore. It doesn't carry forward into the rest of their, their weekly, their daily and weekly lives. And so they are having to find community in other places and there's a lot of places people go to uh, yoga on Sunday mornings people yeah, go to yeah. brunch those are very millennial things to do yoga and brunch
1: <laughs> hello I'm a millennial <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually had to skip spin class tonight because I had homework exactly. so here we are exactly, exactly. But I, think, I think that one of the initial I th- okay so this is not where I intended to go with this conversation but like you've got me on a little bit of a a personality of passion. I think one of the disservices that we've done, right, with Christianity in particular, in American evangelicalism, which is my branch. These are my people. So whether whether or not they like it, I'm speaking for us here. <laughs> and something that we've done is we lost a lot of focus on what the gospel was and wasn't. And I actually think perhaps that you know maybe as an offshoot of colonization, who knows? But we made the gospel individual when it was supposed to be communal, right? And so. So we lost that communal element, and my generation, millennials, are hallmarked by the simultaneous disenfranchisement with community, but also crave for it. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's one of the ways in which we just lost the whole damn plot.
0: Well, I I, I, I agree. I think that's definitely. There's been a lot that kind of drifted. <laughs> From the uh, from the original course that I think uh, Jesus, via his teachings, were trying to advance in the world. Yeah. Um, uh to me, I mean, I don't know. Are we talking about? Are we talking about evangelicalism now? What what, what part of what you just said do you want to dive on? <laughs> There's like <laughs> eighty five ways that we could go from there, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I'd actually like to circle back to your story. So, so you have a point that I uniquely and one hundred percent identify with, but I would love to know what brought you to that point. Like, you you obviously came to a point where church wasn't meeting the needs of yourself and your family, and how did you get there? Like, what what pushed you to that point? What's your kind of, what made you into the person who would found American Nun?
0: Oh man, well, the short answer to that is I wrote a book about it. Uh-huh. That, that really is what my book is. It's, I describe it as part memoir, part credo and part romp and pop culture. And so I, I, I basically was raised in a Christian cult. Okay. Um, and that was extremely traumatic. Mm-hmm. And then I spent 10 years as an agnostic, during which time I studied all different world religions, and I, I studied philosophy of religion in my undergraduate work. And, um, and then I ended up um, trying to reconcile with Christianity again, because through the study of Christianity from an academic perspective, I learned that Jesus was actually a pretty radical dude yeah 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 you know the the the, social reformer he he um he was i learned the social justice jesus through the university not through church right and and then i was like well hey maybe i ought to give jesus a chance again Mm -hmm. and um and so i returned uh after 10 years and basically the the decade of my 20s uh went to seminary Mm -hmm. at smu i'm in dallas okay from texas where all <laughs> the fun things are going on um, <laughs> yeah stuff they were so proud of
1: yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, yeah so um so anyway i went to seminary uh trying to sort that out the social justice jesus uh in my late 20s um but ended up taking a detour uh in evangelical Christianity because that was the closest thing to what I was raised in and I think there was something psychological <laughs> recess going on like exactly <laughs> like I need to make peace with this kind of thing so no better way to make peace with something than to go right back to it than and to dive it. right back in yeah and um and it just ended up being a nightmare and yeah. um and so a marriage and a divorce later and i go i return to graduate school at perkins at smu for my master's in theology which is a very liberal seminary i should say very progressive um, and that's when i returned back to the methodist church i was like okay i can handle this because mm-hmm. these people they're not trying to tell me to stay in an abusive marriage they're not trying to you know tell me that as a female i only have x amount of purpose in this world or whatever. Yep. <laughs> um, but the problem that I found even with the progressive form of Christianity was that there, were, there was a lot of talking off of, out of both sides of the mouth mm-hmm. and I couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. You know, we would recite these creeds and we would say these things from the pulpit or from the chancel that to any lay person would sound like hey, I'm supposed to believe literally that Jesus was born from a virgin or that Jesus literally rose from the dead. And I'm like, well, that's funny because that's not what I just learned at the seminary, like one block away. Right, Um, right. And yet we're saying this in church. And I started feeling more and more, frankly, like a fraud Mm -hmm. in church, because even though the people were awesome and I didn't see any harm being done to other people, but um, unlike the, my evangelical experience, um, it just wasn't authentic for me, mm-hmm. not to mention that I've studied all these other religions. I've been influenced by Taoism and Buddhism and by Carl Sagan. And you know, I mean, like, I mean, you know, there's wisdom even in SpongeBob. I mean, I will say if you get a chance. So, um, so the point is, is that I realized I could not, I could no longer pigeonhole my spiritual identity with one label. So therefore, mm-hmm. no labels was the answer. Mm-hmm. That's the your question. I almost forgot what the question was. No, you did it. You did You did it well. You knocked it out of the park. And I think that that's
1: an interesting point that like brings us right back around to where we started, which is this idea of coalescing a spirituality without a theological pigeonhole behind it, right? Like, what do we really need to major on? What do we really need to do? What are we here for, you know? So what made you make the jump then from that sort of understanding and wanting to get outside of the pigeonhole to, to starting a movement? You know, what is the goal with American nuns? What do you hope to do with it?
0: Well, for one thing, I didn't start the movement. All I'm trying to do is put uh, a name and a face to it. And when I say face, I don't even necessarily mean me. I just mean like make something public facing so that people can go, oh, whoa, wait, there's a space for me. Right. Um, because the movement has been happening really over the past three decades or so and it's really just continued to pick up steam in the past 10 years um but due to the nature of people who typically who are free thinkers open-minded people and we leave these organized kind of situations we're like you know it's like herding cats right you know and so but yep. the thing is, we're trying to herd cats, but at the same time, we're a bunch of lonely cats. Right. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And yeah. And so when I finally decided to leave the church um, and realized I was a nun, um, mm-hmm. the number one reason that I was motivated to start American Nun and to write my book was because I was so darn lonely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I had friends, you know, it's, and I had colleagues. It wasn't, it wasn't like I was living in a cave somewhere, but I was existentially, I was spiritually lonely. Right. Right. Where, where are the people that yes. I see on a Pew report? There's, you know, 100 million of them. Yeah. Where are they? Where can we have conversation and
1: talk? Yeah. So you're essentially a community organizer, right? Which is like what a pastor is if you take right. away the. <laughs> Um, I love that. No, I love that because that's the work that I found myself drawn to when I found myself pushed out of the church because of, um, because of coming to the understanding that my fundamental nature was queer and I was unapologetic for that. Uh, Mm -hmm. I truly believe that just like, uh, if you believe in the sort of metaphor of, you know, the dove descending upon Jesus, uh, when he was baptized, right? Like that's when Jesus's ministry started, right? A lot of people don't really realize that sort of nuance, but of the, you know 33 years that Jesus lived three of them were the only years he spent in ministry and before that we don't really know almost anything about historical Jesus but the dove descends on him and boom his ministry takes off and for me coming out was my my baptism of sorts right (laughs) and I've just been pushed further from the church since that but this darn plucky sense of optimism about spirituality mattering won't go away and so i too a lot of times find myself to be this person without a flag Mm -hmm. and i think that that's what i really was excited about in your work was like what now (laughs) like everything has changed and what now and i i i would love to hear more about that from you
0: well, so that was when I first started kicking the the tires on this concept, uh, that was one of the frequent questions that was posed to me was, well, how are you going to rally a bunch of people that you know are leaving mm-hmm. you know what i mean and 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 what are you going to rally around and it, it it actually reminded me of um I believe it's the theologian um Trelsh, I think is his name, and he referred to. Uh, Jesus as the rallying point for Mm -hmm. community, Mm -hmm. And, and so if we're leaving organized religion and if people are, are, are gleaning their wisdom uh, and inspiration from multiple uh, sources, Mm -hmm. then what is there to rally around? Well, that's when I, (laughs) it's like, I don't know the dove or a coconut on the head or whatever, but um, that's when this came to I, mind. I love that. Because who can disagree with that? Right. You can't. Who can disagree that love is the one and the only unifying force uh, amongst us? And and you can call yourself, you can give yourself any darn label you want, religious, sexual orientation, political oriented, whatever. And if we can agree on this now the problem is even this can be misused right Right. the word love uh the concept of love can be abused just like anything else can because humans are awesome at that so good at it (laughs) but 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 i I like to say i like to say love is like porn and let me tell you what i mean by that
1: i'm ready for it this is going to be a great self
0: for the opening so the, there was the quote in um, from the late '70s, I believe it was, a U.S. Supreme Court justice who was having to identify, what define what porn is, mm-hmm. because there's some case before the Supreme Court, and they were trying to literally define what's the difference between porn and Italian Renaissance art, for right? Example. Right. And this Supreme Court justice said, "I know it when I see it." <laughs> when I yep. see it. I know the difference between porn and art. It's yep. that simple. Same thing with love. Yeah, we know love when we experience love. When you have experienced true love, and I'm not talking necessarily romantic love at all. I'm, you know what I mean. Just love. Yeah. 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 The the kindness of a stranger, someone who surfaces in your life that you least expected to to um, sh- shelter you and shoulder you through the hardest times in your life. You know, different different manifestations of love that we experience when we experience it we know it Mm -hmm. it's like when you travel to another country and you can have an exchange with someone without even knowing their language and you know that there was a a human connection an exchange Mm -hmm. of love there so that's what I realized we that's the rallying point Mm -hmm. and this is also a distinction that I'm hoping as I continue to you know, chip away at trying to build a community and, and, and get this message out there. Um, that's also a, a differentiation from what I'm, I hope people will f- it's feel from the atheist movement of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. And I'm not disparaging atheists. Let me be very clear. Again, that's another label that can be misused, abused, can mean, I mean, it just, it, the label is irrelevant. hmm some of the most loving people I know identify as atheists. It's irrelevant. Um, but, but they had a PR problem. Mm-hmm. The atheist movement of the 20th century had a PR problem yeah. because there were a few people with bullhorns that were very antagonistic and condescending toward p- persons of, of faith. Mm-hmm. And so I'm hoping that this phenomenon, the nuns kind of uh, burgeoning, Mm -hmm. In our country, if we can, if we can tee it off right from the beginning that, listen, this is a message of love. This is not about you're wrong and I'm right. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's the point that I've come to within
1: my own life is I've lost the interest really in debating uh, for most of the time. Like I like learning, I I mean, I'm a theology student. Like that's what I do. Um, I do interfaith study. I did like 35 hours of one interfaith course last week because it was an intensive week. Um, so, but as much as I love that practically, I don't see the need to debate much. I see the need to act. And I think the most common rallying point both as a religious person and as a community organizer as a social worker is love and doing what is yeah. most loving and that you know like you said that word has been stretched uh but i think that if we're really pressed we can tell when the word love is being stretched right yeah so we have to rally around that what does that look like for an american nun how do we rally how do we coalesce how do we
0: build community well oh- if you don't mind, can we table that question for a second? Because you yeah. touched on something that I think is very important to to provide an illustration. Yeah, it's this notion this notion of misusing the word love, and I think one of the greatest examples of that are Christians who think that the loving thing to do is deconversion therapy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is that's a one of the most salient examples of the misuse of love mm-hmm. you know, that it's because I love you that I'm going to try to, you know, shame you and force you to be something or someone that you're not. And, yeah. um, and so the very definition of what love is and how it acts in the world, that's actually what I want to explore in my second book, mm. um, and get very practical about it because the Bible verse, um, 1 corinthians 13 i think three through five or something um you know love is patient love is kind love is and i'm like well you know what um i think that osama bin laden was patient yeah yeah and and osama bin laden was also kind to his people from what i read mm-hmm. so um in other words we have to be more cognizant of what it means of what love means Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because not all patience is love right love is patient but not all patience is love right 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 and so so anyway i just wanted to touch on that because i've seen the misuse of love in christian circles and it grosses me out oh agreed and i think that's
1: Work, it's really disgusting.
0: It's something <laughs> that I've
1: seen in interfaith work and in community organizations, as well as that, like, people misuse this idea of love but you can't be simultaneously loving somebody and working against against their best interest. Mm -hmm. You can't be simultaneously loving somebody and and taking away their agency. Like there are very, there are things, which like I'm a verbal processor, so I would work it out in a conversation, but there are things that love cannot coexist with. And I think maybe that's what we need to do because if we're gonna form any intersectional movement, we can absolutely center on what love is, but that means we need to be conscious even within ourselves of what does love look like to the other? What does love love look like to someone who's different?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, it's funny. I have right behind me, um, this Norman Rockwell painting, the do unto others as you would have them doing to you. And I, I've seen some things circulating on Instagram lately of people saying, you know, that, that, there's something flawed with that concept, and that it should be doing to others as they would have you do unto them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and I get where they're going there. Um, but fundamentally, if you really just peel, keep peeling back the onion and peeling back the onion to do unto someone else the way you would want done unto you is to respect their agency.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm
0: is to respect their own intrinsic value and right to find themselves and be who they are uh, short of harming others, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is that where the harming of others is a marker that's been moved, right. you know, because like I was raised uh, by my mom and stepdad to believe that, um, you know, it was our moral obligation to try to convert the Jews. Oh. you know that's how they referred to them. I know it sounds terribly prerogative, uh, I mean um, um, derogatory. Thank you. Um, but um, but but that was the way that they that was the way that they talked and they thought that was the loving thing to do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I mean, oh my Lord, I, I made my mea culpa in, in here of of that type of mentality, but So there needs to be a collective conversation about what love means. I think so, because I feel like that's the one thing that
1: everybody wants to pull together around. But we need to understand what love is from a Muslim perspective, a Jewish perspective, a Christian perspective, a Taoist perspective, a Buddhist perspective. And these these things all differ because there's no one central tenet of life you know what i mean and I was, I was just reading about morality and ethics and can they exist without religion and you know how does how does that play into each other but i think that we have to have sort of those tough conversations especially if we're going to come together as a community because ultimately i think love is a verb and we need to take action out of that love and so what does that mean for us as a community of diverse people how do we enact love in the world
0: mm-hmm. well do you think that it that Quite simply, that means allowing others to have their own agency short of not harming others. I think that that's probably one of the closest things that I've that i've
1: heard and this is something i talk about like all the time like literally we've probably had so many parallel conversations in terms of this because i'm always asking people this but i think that's one of the
0: actual best definitions that i've heard right because... <laughs> well no i'm just i'm glad that resonates because i don't know i've been trying to come up with that too. i'm sorry I just interrupted
1: you go ahead no, okay. no, no 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 that's perfect this is a conversation two ways has to proceed unpredictably i looked up the definition of conversation before i named my podcast that <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) one of the tenets of a conversation is that it has to proceed at least in some measure unpredictably and so that's why I don't do too much planning for these things but uh, yeah I think that that idea of love is something is that what you plan to process like talk about in your next book
0: yes awesome
1: when are when are you what's the like timetable like that are you still like dream boarding it are you in final editing like are you still
0: no wish no um no I have an outline um I have an outline but I'm I'm doing some kind of mining for you know information and concepts and things like that and and through the course of conversation you know finding out um how people um how they perceive of it and where the holes are in their understanding. Like I, I knew someone who, like you just said that love is a, a verb. And I knew someone that said to me, it doesn't, words don't matter. Only, only action does. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then the more I thought about it, I was like, mm, no, I think they both matter, mm-hmm. but then they also both don't matter. Yeah. Yeah. That's the tension, right? It, You're right. Because even really good loving people can really do shitty things sometimes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so we, we have to find that space between the paradox of, or the dichotomy between Action and words, or between, you know, you did this, but you should have done this, but it doesn't make you all one or the other. You know what I mean? And absolutely. I was reading some about that,
1: um, uh, something of, along those lines. You know, I, I, I haven't watched the special recently, but I heard that Dave Chappelle said some dumbass stuff that basically was not good and people want to cancel him and so I was reading today about the tension between calling somebody out and calling somebody in and I think that that could be you know cancel culture versus the chance to develop I think I wish I could credit I wish I could take credit for it um in an effort to credit black and brown women especially with their intellectual property this was from a black like, thinker, a Black female thinker. I'll drop her name in the comments uh, later, everybody, just so you know. But that, that difference between calling out and calling in is the difference between just kind of um, doing something to, like, damn the man or doing something with love. I think that's a practical way to see, like, maybe we can create a more loving dialogue around this thing that happened wrong and not completely throw the person out, you know?
0: Right. Yes, I agree. And and obviously. You know, at some point, sometimes the most loving thing to do is to say no more of something with someone. And you do hit that wall. But you know why that's the most loving thing to do? Like I decided when I left my ex-husband, I decided that the most loving thing I could do for him was to leave. Mm -hmm. I tried all these other things, but I decided that was the most loving thing for me to do is to leave. You know why? Because it put gave him all of his own agency. Mm-hmm. You decide who you want to be. Mm-hmm. You decide what choices you and I'm not here to bash him. I'm just saying that's the right. people of so. you, sometimes you do have to you do have to make a call but that can be of love mm-hmm. if it affirms somebody's agency and their their path to growth. Absolutely. When people ask me um because so many people ask me this all the time. <laughs> not really. <laughs> think about it. Maybe I dream that somebody someday is going to ask me this, but I have an answer, I got it. <laughs> but, but I have had this conversation before with some people over the years, but the, the whole idea of, you know, what's the purpose of life? Mm-hmm. I've really decided for me, I define that to be to grow, mm-hmm. to grow because we're not going to always feel happy. We're not going to always even feel joy. Uh, I think, I think even I, for me, I feel like I have joy always, but I don't always, not always tapping into it.
1: Right. Right. Right.
0: Sometimes it's a little recessed. Um, but, but I can always grow. Mm -hmm. That's the one thing that I have agency over. Mm -hmm. I can choose growth. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Even if it's, even if it's that, you know what, today, um, so-and-so said something that really hurt my feelings, but I'm just going to let that go because that, is a reflection of whatever's going on with so-and-so and and not me it could be something really little yeah it can be growth
1: and that's loving towards yourself too if you want to tie it back to that same axiom like and also perhaps not retaliating would be the most loving thing that you could do to that person too like that's something that would depend on the that's a given
0: (laughs) that's a given (laughs) i mean because i guess what i was trying to say is that sometimes growth are these little bitty internal decisions we make Mm hmm Right, that mm-hmm. it doesn't have. It may not show to anybody else, mm-hmm. but you can. Oh wow, that was a victory for me today. I was able to, you know, because for me, I, I retaliation is not something that I would be inclined to like. Run right away. So for me, the victory would be like, oh wow, I can, I can just that not that just I just let that go. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. anyway, so uh, growth to me is really central to 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 love. And mm-hmm. allowing other people to grow. So that
1: the ethic, the organizing ethic, let's say, or or a central kind of gathering cry of the american nun as you see it would be this ethos of love what are some other like what are some other hallmarks that you would hope that like we could coalesce around as american nuns or even some points from your book that you'd like to share about the topic
0: sure that's a, g- a great question and i just feel the need to tell your audience that this is water not moonshine straight up
1: so- vodka <laughs> <laughs>
0: because I'm drinking out of a giant mason jar. And so it just looks like, you know, I've got my mason jar. I mean, and you're, you're right from there.
1: Texas, so. <laughs>
0: um, but I'm actually really glad that you asked that specific question. Because... See, right there. You see the circle with the greater uh-huh. than sign there?
1: Uh-huh. Um,
0: so the greater than sign is a derivative of this, mm-hmm. that love is greater. And then this bowl, Um, represents the oneness of humanity Mm -hmm. one earth one human family Mm -hmm. and and so and then love is the one thing that unifies and brings us all together Mm -hmm. and so the two primary the the chief message is love is greater Mm -hmm. in the story but the second one is that we are one human family we've Mm -hmm. got one home Mm -hmm. And if COVID didn't teach us anything, it should have taught us that. Yeah. Not to global warming and all these things. You know, these are all shared problems. Right. And, um, and so it's time that we, um, we move the goalpost in terms of what our objectives are. Mm-hmm. I actually started a change.org petition a year or so ago um, called a call for responsible religion. Mm-hmm. And, um, and what I'm saying is, listen, for people who aren't religious, let's not fool ourselves. Religion isn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. All right. It's going to be around for a long time. And, um, and so what we need to do is we need to reinvent what's acceptable within it, mm-hmm. or redefine what's acceptable within it. And so in my, my change.org petition that I did through American Nun, I'm saying, listen, we used to throw babies in volcanoes and marry you know off eight-year-old brides to 60-year-old men and do all kinds of heinous things in the name of religion and some of that stuff is probably still going on in some places yeah, yeah. somewhere um but it's time that we uh redefine what's acceptable
1: mm-hmm. within
0: the realm of religion mm-hmm. and and the symbol or the message that you were asking about messaging of the one human family i think with the shrinking of the globe Mm -hmm. we're now starting to have these conversations realizing that oh yo we're all in this together we better figure some shit out (laughs) we really
1: are we really are and it doesn't take a religious affiliation to give a shit you know what i mean It, it really doesn't like we can we can have all of these practicalities and still come together and being like this is our cultural non-negotiable and if we have to like you I like your analogy like kind of moving the chains forward like this is where we need to go now you know what I mean I think that that's a an incredibly wise statement what in your uh, what in your mind would a more responsible religion look like how would that play out
0: oh wow that's interesting um I Like to ask some nice small questions, just bite sized. Yeah, questions. well, being the the philosophically trained person that I am, I mean, my brain is immediately going because do, <laughs> yeah. that, that unravels like a million different other questions. It's it's like, does. Well, let's define what religion is, and exactly. let's define, you know, I mean, um, I actually did define it in my book, um, but, um, but I think. A few things come to mind and and I guess the easiest answer to that is to draw upon the values that um, that I had, uh, I guess, established for American Nun as an organization. And that is one that embraces science mm-hmm. so that we're not being asked to believe things literally mm-hmm. that science proves or uh, not is not the case. Mm-hmm. One that embraces reason. Now, even 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 with the understanding of reason, it depends on where what your premise is in terms of how reasonable your conclusion is. But but uh, there needs to be a place for science and reason, and inclusivity, mm-hmm. compassion,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and results. Oh, I so, like So because if if you spend all your time like you know. Sprinkling fairy dust and bowing and doing whatever in the name of a religion, but it doesn't make you a kinder, gentler, more loving human being, or you yes. don't turn around and make the earth a better place in your own way, yes. then I, I fuck that shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean? You know what I mean? It's like if if it didn't result in something positive, then.
1: I love that. I love those values that you laid out because they're so they're so all encompassing. And the the sort of like scientific, academic, practicality. And me loved when you brought up the R word of results because there's there's uh, a lot of times when we can create beautiful plans and we can talk about intersectional dialogue and community building, but the end line is like, what are we doing? And can we? <laughs> anything. And I'm not saying I need results like numbers in a pew, but I'm saying we need to be actively doing what we say, we need to actively be living into our commitments. And I say that phrase somewhat ironically, because it's a class I'm taking right now called living into our commitments. Uh, But I think that if we have commitments, they should bear with them action. Otherwise, what's the point? You know what I mean? Yes, yes. What's what's the point? You know, there's an interesting thing I learned um in my inter- in my Abrahamic faiths class last week, and I would love to share it with you if you have a moment. Oh, oh. Um, so Judaism, Christianity, and Islam are all based on the story of Abraham. So literally, Islam and Judaism, they actually refer to all three religions as people of the book. And Islam and Judaism, neither of them have any prohibitions against people of the book marrying other people of the book. And Islam goes so far as to say, we respect the Torah, we respect the Hebrew Bible, we respect the Bible in so much as it doesn't conflict with the Quran, right? So first of all, Islam has been painted as this exclusionary radicalist thing when it's actually meant to be the fulfillment and the the, the teasing out and the, the taking to a higher level, right? But what's interesting when you look at the story of Abraham in uh, in the Torah and in the um, Christian text, right, is that we don't know if Isaac has any agency, right? For those of you who are watching and might not have heard this story, in the Torah, which is the the Jewish scriptures, portion of the Jewish scriptures, then we have the Christian Bible, then we have the Quran, Abraham is supposed to be the patriarch of the faith, right? He's this dude that, like, kicked shit off, right? Abraham has has two sons. I'm, I'm not going to go into all of it because it's too much, but Abraham has a son named Isaac, right? And at one point, and this story is in all of the scriptures for all three faiths, uh, at one point, Abraham goes to sacrifice Isaac to please God. And um, there's a very interesting point in the Abrahamic scriptures or in the Judaism, the Judaism scriptures of the Torah, right? And in the Christian Bible, we don't know if Isaac has any agency and the Abraham figure is just told to do this by God. But when you look in the Quran, Allah, um, Allah and Abraham have a dialogue and throughout their dialogue, Abraham reasons with Allah and comes to an understanding of like why this needs to happen and Isaac has agency In the situation, he doesn't have that in the Torah or the Bible. Isaac is allowed to determine to be a part of this sacrifice. And something that I learned about Islam this past week is that there is a focus on reasoning. And I think that that's so cool and intersects so much with what you're saying, because we're talking about agency and we're talking about reasoning. And here that is in a faith that's been like demonized. So that's my little rabbit trail. But I think it's interesting that even within a monotheistic religion, there's an encouragement of reason. Yeah. And I think so many times, I don't know if you experienced this within evangelicalism, but I did. One of the reasons they just don't fucking like me is that I'm not willing to check my brain at the door to be a part of a system. Amen. Right. And so that idea yeah. that reason could be brought into the spiritual yeah. realm, into the spirit and make it not just into the spiritual realm, but it's a tenet of spirituality. Yeah. How yeah. much would that change things, you know? Mm-hmm yeah I, I think love that you listed that in the values sorry to go off on that little tangent but I really like that was a finer point of the conversation that really intrigued me because that's something that I believe in and I had always been told it was incompatible with religion mm-hmm. I mean yeah. how many times how many times you said that you were like told stuff to believe and you're like I can't do this like how many times were you told to believe stuff that just defied all reason
0: oh my entire childhood for one thing and then yeah. I my romp and evangelicalism again, uh, in my marriage. Ugh. Yeah. It was funny that when you were telling that story, I was just, I was just visualizing the veggie tales, uh, <laughs> with, with like the broccoli, taking the little baby asparagus up to be sacrificed. <laughs> Absolutely. watched that one. Huh? <laughs> oh
1: man. who? <Ooh>. Yeah. <laughs> That was a whole e- evangelical idea in and of itself, <laughs> <laughs> like, like stories of sacred scripture with vegetables. Welcome to it.
0: <laughs> oh, I love that you so cool. this nice, like, rich story, and I'm thinking of like, oh yeah, I remember the broccoli and the asparagus. <laughs> I think there were some like green peas on the side or something there, maybe. <laughs> I don't
1: know. Uh, now I'm singing the VeggieTales theme song. Everything's fine. Last <laughs> night I had the Bagel Bites theme song stuck in my head, so I guess the VeggieTales theme song is better. <laughs> I was at the refrigerator last night and I was like, babe, do you ever just like have the Bagel Bites theme song stuck in your head? And she's like, no, like, I don't think ever. And then I started singing and she's like, yep, that's been stuck in my head before. Thanks a lot.
0: you thank
1: you for that oh man that's so funny is there anything else like any other main points of your book that you'd like to tease out because those values were really great and admittedly I haven't read your whole book I've just read stuff that you've put online I haven't read your book in totality so I'd love to hear anything else that you'd love to share about us about maybe things that you were really passionate about that you put in or even things that you learned through the writing of it um sure
0: so I think you know I was if I had to pick one thing, <clears throat> um, the being raised by my mom and my stepdad in this Christian cult, <clears throat> and then seeing, I, I didn't, my dad was not around as much um, when I was really young, but he was an atheist. <clears throat> and so, <clears throat> excuse me, just one second. Let me get some. I got to get some moonshine. more. Moonshine. I need some moonshine.
1: I'm gonna insert a little graphic for YouTube that says this is not moonshine. <laughs>
0: um, but um, I really think that I I have loved people who are deeply religious. I've loved people who are not religious at all and are uh, pretty staunch atheists.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And what I would love to see more than anything is for fundamentalism of any kind Mm -hmm. to evaporate, recede, Mm -hmm. and so that we can see each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And be with one another and love Mm -hmm. one another Mm -hmm. with all of these constructs that we build up and that we use to hide behind or, or throw arrows at from behind a wall to other people, you know, um, that's why love is greater than labels is that will be my message for the rest of my life, because Mm -hmm. I've known some atheists that I truly believe embodied Jesus Mm -hmm. better than a ton of Christians, self-professed Christians that I know. Mm -hmm. And I know some Christians, um, who are angels on earth i don't mean that literally but you know what i mean um that that some atheist people would just balk at because they do believe jesus literally rose from the dead Mm -hmm. and i don't care if they believe that right that's not my place to make a judgment on that and um and so i just um if there were one theme i I think this is also going back into the freud for the (laughs) thing is you know I've been trying to reconcile the 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 differences of having such um, polarizing worldviews within my parents mm-hmm. uh, from kid from being a child but that plays out into the world mm-hmm. and I'm grateful for it because I've seen how I've learned love from both of my parents in their own ways mm-hmm. and um and i I just I really, really believe in, in love. And I, that's my hope.
1: I love it. that. I love that so much. I can like, I can, your passion for that concept is palpable and I look forward to picking up your book. Cause I like, now it's a must read for me after I read the 30 other books I have to read for this semester. Um, but I also look forward to the, the, the working out of that and fleshing out of that verbally as your second book comes out. I think that's really, really, I think it's a crucial piece in this sort of intersectional conversation that we need to have if we're going to build a better, more cohesive world. Right? Like mm-hmm. that's what we need. Um, I, I mentioned to you a little bit before, off uh, before off camera, that um, uh, you know I want to. Um, my passion is to uh, pursue a PhD in queer theology, and queer theology doesn't have to do with orientation. It, it is. it it is about orientation in some parts, but not in whole. What queer theology is, is a belief in the dissolution of artificial binary separations. And I think that, essentialist uh, identities, or like you said, fundamentalist ideals, no matter where they fall in the perspective, they create a binary. And when you have a binary, you create an other. And when you have an other, it's easier to perpetuate things upon them, to take things from them, to step on them. And so I think that when we dissolve that binary, and we truly believe that love is greater than division, we, we... Uh, decrease the chance for othering and we increase the chance for community and for love and for positivity amen (laughs) done (laughs) hitting end right now not just kidding yeah
0: amen that's right and i i I wrote about that too the um you know the both and versus the either or Mm -hmm. and um and i think that that's something that uh hopefully we'll be taking, having kind of a renaissance in our country with that type of thinking. And I think this whole movement of, of people moving away from labels in general Mm -hmm. is, is a step into that space absolutely yeah absolutely it is love is
1: absolutely greater than labels and it should it should transcend them because it's not that i don't want people to have identities i think everybody should have the exact and most specific way to articulate their existence but i don't think that we should let it be a cause for division and i think that that's if we're going to build a better world um it's going to be through the nuns, it's going to be through the queers, right, it's going to be through the intersections, if we're going to build a better
0: world, it's going to happen through that. It ha- That's the only way it can, yep. <laughs> otherwise it spirals out just, you know, into polarizing differences, and I'm so glad you, you mentioned what you just said, because um, it's important to say that even though I'm saying love is greater than labels, I'm not saying that that there's not a place for right. labels, right. you know what I mean? Because right. we all like, I'm a woman, I'm a mother, I'm a, you know, whatever, yeah. and and that's just how we navigate the world, right? Yeah. And, and and there's nothing wrong with feeling proud in mm-hmm. uh, whatever label you want to give yourself, yep. but it's yep. just that lovers love is greater.
1: Exactly. Yep. You it's, know what I mean? It's non essentialist. Like you can have agency without it being essentialist you could have agency without it being a dividing wall you know what mm-hmm. i mean it can be a, it can be like a hello this is my business card as opposed to like don't cross this line right right yeah, absolutely. Well, Rachel, you're fantastic. You're great. I, I wouldn't Thank care you. if you shine in the jar. I had a great time with you tonight. Um, I would love for you to do me a quick favor. And if you could, you already stole my last question, which is if there's one thing we could leave, you know, you'd want to leave the audience with, but you literally zoomed past that because you just did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if you could do us a favor, um, can you let people know how they can get in touch with you, your work, the Association of American Nuns, uh, anything that you want to you want to do here is your chance for just a completely shameless commercial
0: okay 1-800 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um now uh let's see you so american nun.com um that's american and then n-o-n-e.com uh, you can find out more information just about nuns in general and uh, also follow american nun on instagram um facebook instagram is kind of where i'm really trying Trying to foster the community, uh, mm-hmm. so that seems to be where most of this kind of conversation is taking place. Twitter, Twitter, we have a Twitter account, but it, Twitter can be a little, you know, <laughs> <sort of> dicey <laughs> at times. <nine. laughs> um, and then my personal—I love to uh, engage with people on my personal Instagram as well because I get—I get more personal on that page, and that's uh, Rachel underscore L underscore Roberts, Roberts with an S. And um, you can also check out loveisgreater.world. That is a new concept, it's in beta right now, but it's um, basically, it's a merchandise company that's selling um, uh, messaging like this to help fund the American Nun um, initiative. Very so, cool. Because, you know, we, it's we live in the real world. We gotta-
1: Capitalism, bro.
0: Yeah, well. You know, you gotta. You know, it takes my- I had a friend. You know, I had a
1: friend. Uh, actually, my professor last week, and we were talking, and he was just saying like he really loves the work that I'm doing with conversations, and even the questions I was asking. And I was like, you know, if only I could get paid. And he looked at me, and he's like, you know, honestly, Jesus couldn't have survived in a capitalist society. He was an itinerant preacher who didn't even cook for himself. And I was like, oh shit, you're right. <laughs> I'm
0: doomed. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Oh God, my options are
1: limiting here. Um, hashtag fans. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, mom. I <laughs> don't Uh, Rachel, it's been a pure joy. I'm going to drop all of these links in this video. I'm going to put them in the YouTube and I'm going to put them in the podcast. And when you get that second book written, I'm just putting a little plug in here that we would love like a pre-release conversation with you. Oh, awesome. (laughs) That'd be fun. Okay. All right. Awesome. Well, friends, this has been Conversations. I'm Leo WT. This is my friend, Rachel. And thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you for those of you who are going to spend some time with this on the replay. Someone who's, I know, Someone's going to listen to it on the treadmill, but wherever you can engage with this conversation, I want to say thank you for being a person who wants to listen and who wants to hear and who wants to be a part of the conversation. If you have any ideas that you'd like to see talked about on conversations, throw them my way. I'm more than open. You can find conversations all over social media. You can find all of our links at conversationsofficial.com. And I would like to make a slight plea to you, and that is I literally cannot keep this up on my own without, um, without your help. And so I have thrown up a Patreon. Uh, you can find the link on conversationsofficial.com. And if you'd be interested in helping fund this work to literally keep the lights on, um, you can sign up on Patreon to make a, a monthly donation and there will be some perks forthcoming I'm working them out as you speak. So thank you for being a part of the Conversations family. Thank you, Rachel, for joining the Conversations family. And we look so forward to hearing what comes from you in the future.
0: Thank you, Leo. This has been a lot of fun. Absolutely. Have a great
1: night. Everybody else, we'll see you next week. Have a good night. Bye. This has been the Conversations Podcast. Thank you so much for joining. If you have any questions or comments or just want to get involved, feel free to join the conversation on social media. You can find us at Conversations Official on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And please don't forget to rate, follow, and share this podcast. We're available on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for joining the conversation.